Welcome to the One Answer, Two Question podcast, where my co-host Joe and I talk about current events from a Christian worldview. We invite you to listen. We hope it sparks a lot of questions. We hope you enjoy the conversation today. Joe, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Shane. How are you? Man, I'm doing well. It's uh, had a lot of rain yesterday, but today is pretty sunny. It's nice out. Been spending some time outside, so I'm a, I'm a pretty happy guy. Beautiful, beautiful. We actually ha- we've had a couple of good days. Um, we had some rain yesterday, and we had a little bit. Where I guess we're expecting some tonight, but it's beautiful weather. No complaints. All right, that's excellent. That's excellent. You know, it's um, I got to share with you a couple of things that are happening. The first that's happening is I'm pretty excited. Um, I finally, it's been something I've known about for a few, uh, I guess probably a few years now. It's a, there's a uh, Franciscan uh, friar, Francis, named Richard Rohr, Father Richard Rohr. And bearing in mind, I'm not, I'm not a, a Catholic, um, but I've listened to him speak on numerous occasions. And his message, um, just his message and his interpretations uh, and the way the verses speak to him, They've just always been really comforting to me. And so he has a, he has a, you know, his, let's say ministry, probably not the exact right way to describe it, but he's got something called the Center for Action and Contemplation, and they offer different online classes. So I'm actually signed up for an online class that starts this coming week. And what it is, is it's a study of a book from the 1300s. And the book is called The Interior Castle. And it was written by Teresa of Aviles. And she was a nun back in the 1300s. And she was blessed with all these mystical experiences. And so she wrote about the interior castle, this, you know, within ourselves and how a aspiring Christian or how somebody who's deepening in their faith, all these different levels that they progress through. And um, it's a, it's a phenomenal read, uh, but he's got a couple of experts that have been able to translate it uh, from its original language into English that are going to be leading the class. So it's an eight week study. So I'm really looking forward to it. Wow. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing the progress because uh, just, just by reading um, her descriptions of the interior castle and the struggles that you go through at each, let's say, level of the castle, um, it resonates resonates so strongly with my own experiences. And of course, much of it's really allegorical or symbolic. And um, she speaks frequently about the first few levels, how you're constantly uh, the reptiles and the snakes and the scorpions and the the the, the reptiles that are around you, trying to keep you. Um, from finding from finding God in the castle, how they're just a constant struggle, and how even once you get past the first level, you feel like you get deeper into the castle, you feel like you're going to get safer, and how it's different. Like now that you're getting closer to his glory, how much more furiously and aggressively they're going to come after you. And, and I've just, through so many of my own personal experiences, I mean, I, I, now, I now see that, how, how crafty, uh, how crafty the enemy is and trying to drag you away from your goal once you've set your heart and your spirit on that as your direction. Have you read the whole book yet uh, at this point? I have read about half of it at this point. And 
it, quite truthfully, as I've gotten, let's say, deeper into the castle, um, it has become more and more esoteric and less and less. Um, it resonates less with me because clearly I just haven't made it that far into the castle yet. Wow. Is there anything about um, oubliettes? Not that I'm aware of. What is that? An oubliette is a, well, it's a word that that I sort of uh, happened across some time ago, and it's actually a dungeon that is, they were in the corner, typically they were in the corner of a castle. And it was, the word actually translates to be a place to be forgotten. And what they would do is, they would throw prisoners down into the oubliette to be forgotten. Wow. So they were not simply, they were not simply put into a dungeon with, um, you know, like other prisoners or other, you know, taskmasters or anything like that. No, they were, they were abandoned in the oubliette to be forgotten and never, never to be released, never to be spoken of again. And, and from, I guess from a structural standpoint, an oubliette is is like it was something that was part of a castle. No doors, no windows, no walls. It was just a it's just like this tube that would go down, you know, into this giant pit. Horrific, horrific oh thing. Oh my gosh. I was just curious if it was um I was just curious if it, curious if it was something that was in there. Because I would actually entertain the idea that um from from the the book that you're reading, I would actually entertain the idea that there may be times in which we spend time in an oubliette or a dungeon of sorts in the searching out of um, scripture and in our relationships with God, you know, times of despair in order to reach out to um, reach out to God more and expand our relationship with him. Well, it's it's really interesting that you would bring that particular part of it up, because one of the things that I have, and we've talked about this to some, but, you know, I've definitely gone through various periods of, you know, melancholy or, or depression or those types of things. And, you know, feelings of, as you said, despair, hopelessness, what's the point of it all? And I heard the most beautiful thing said by actually a Sufi, uh, Sufism, if, if you're not familiar, is is sort of the mystical branch of Islam, or at least that's a, it's probably, there's probably a lot more nuanced uh, aspects to that, but just, you know, for, for making it easy. Um, and what he said was that depression is in most cases, it's actually God calling to you and you recognizing the distance between you and he. And that's what depression is, is when you're feeling depressed, that you're actually, you're actually in this spiritual state proving his existence because he's calling to you and you're recognizing how, how much you long to be closer to him. That's amazing. It hit me like a ton of bricks. It absolutely just it. I mean, I can't tell you how much it floored me. I, I've been I, I've been sitting and, and meditating on that. That well, you're talking about the oubliette, that 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 pit to be forgotten. That when you actually are in that state of being in the oubliette, that depression, 
that that's actually the moment where you are hearing his voice, the strongest calling you back to him. I bet there's a lot of people hearing that now. You know, so many of us are still in isolation um, that that alone time and whether it's depressing, I hope it's not for so many, but I would imagine it is. And if that is not a call back to a relationship with God in these times, I think it absolutely is. Yeah, I, I um, and, and I'll tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll tag that with, um, so I, I had spoken to my dad earlier today and I shared that with him. And um, he said the first time he ever heard that was actually from his doctor, from his family doctor. And it wasn't about depression, but he said it was about anxiety. And, you know, anybody who's experienced one understands how that's kind of two sides of the same coin often. And he actually said that anxiety was the same thing. And, he, you know, because he was talking to him and he just said, yeah, I can dis- prescribe anxiety medications to people. He goes, and it's going to alleviate the symptoms. He goes, but it doesn't cure the problem. Right. It doesn't cure the problem that you're separated from God. His doctor said that? His doctor said that to him. That's wild. Yeah, amazing. I haven't heard of a, of anyone stating that a doctor would speak on such spiritual terms in, in I don't know that I've ever heard that. That's awesome. Well, you know, there used to be there used to be some actual common sense um and when I say common sense, amongst the medical professionals and, and anybody who's listening to this that's a doctor, I'm not insulting the profession. But what I'm saying is that there's a famous saying that medicine is treating the patient's mind while the body cures itself. Um, and I may have that slightly, slightly off, but the, 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 the spirit of what I'm saying is true. And, the, and this idea that, that people don't have a spirit and that everything is just cold, hard clinical facts, and that you're not treating somebody's spirit um, as a medical professional. I think if I think if you're not taking that part into account, you know, you're missing a huge piece of the puzzle, because that is, I mean, that's what a person is. If they have any faith at all, you, know, you got to look at what is it that's what is it that's plaguing their spirit, because if you you can treat all the physical symptoms in the world, but if a person has a broken or distressed spirit, you know, what are you actually fixing, dude? You're just putting band-aids. <laughs> You're putting band-aids on something that's broken fundamentally. And so uh, I personally, you know, I understand it's tough because not everybody shares the same faith, but I, I, I mean, it really actually felt, filled me with, with quite a bit of hope that there were still doctors out there who treated all aspects of a patient and not just a checklist of symptoms followed by pill A, B, or C. Yeah. My own doctor actually has a, um, she has a uh, explanation of her Christian beliefs on the back of her business card. Really? Yeah. And when I first started uh, being treated by her, I explained to her that that was, that was actually a fundamental reason why I chose to visit her in the first place. Wow. And, um, you know, the, the conversations that I have had with her have been very much like that as well. And it was interesting because we actually had a conversation that went something like, well, I, I believe that, that God is in control and I believe that God is the, um, healer of my body. I believe that he designed my body to heal itself. And so, a lot of these prescriptions 
it's possible that they're doing more harm than good. It's totally possible. And I've had more than one conversation with somebody who was on, you know, somewhere between five and 10 prescriptions. And it was all to address one problem. And, you know, of course it was, there's a problem and then pill A and then pill A creates a side effect. So you get pill B and then <laughs> pill B creates another side effect. So you get, and so by the end of it, you, you're going like, wait a second, I'm on five medications. And it was just because I was having like, you know, a little bit of high blood pressure. So at what point, at what point do you stop compounding the, uh, the issue? And you're like, well, you just created five issues and I only had one before. So am I further ahead now as a result of this? <laughs> And exact, and it's a quality of life issue because there was there was a time um, a couple years back when I had I had my own I don't know what you'd call it it was like an organizer yeah you know sure. it had it had like it had this is for the more this is the pill you take in the morning this is the one you take at noon this is the one you take after dinner this is the one you take before you go to sleep yeah you got like a tackle box full of medication. <laughs> <laughs> right hooks hooks included yeah. and um yeah i when i when i was going through that i'm just going you know what these are actually making me feel worse than the symptoms of what it was that i was dealing with that caused me to need these prescriptions in the first place right exactly literally i mean the nightmarish reactions that I was having to some of these things. And it's not, it, I'm not suggesting it's, it's the doctor's fault or the, the one who's prescribing it, or even the, the pharmaceutical companies directly or indirectly. What I'm saying is that we're all unique, you know, we're all unique and who's to say how something's going to affect my body versus, you know, someone else's body. And, and I'm going to take what you're saying and it just kind of hit me as we're talking about it. You know, what you're saying about this, and we're talking about these prescriptions and, and the compounding effects, you know, so dial, dial it back to the, to the spiritual for a moment. I mean, if you think about it, most of, most of the things I think that I have ever done in looking back, all the things I've done that, that weren't the right move, let's say, the mistakes I made, significant number of them could be attributed back to this feeling of, longing for God, this depression, this absence of him in my life. And I think about, well, so as a result, so what I tried to do to fix that problem was, let's say, uh, you know, alcohol, right? So let's say I dove into alcohol and then the alcohol creates another mistake or mistakes frequently. And then those mistakes provide two or three other mistakes. And so at the end of it all, you know, being kind of separated from God and that feeling leads me five, six, seven mistakes down the road. It, and it's because I was, it was because I wasn't treating the, the real problem. I'm really surprised the alcohol didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Are you now? I know there's so many, I know there's so many stories about that being an effective remedy for people's problems. Very, very effective. Your problems go away almost immediately reminds me of the simpsons and homer lifting a beer and he goes ah beer the cause of and answer to all of life's problems <laughs> beautiful <laughs> i think my my favorite homer simpson moment was when he says i am so smart smrt have you heard that clip <laughs> no. it's amazing i'll have to look for every that time one. i hear it even now it still makes me laugh that's funny well, you know, it, we're, I, I kind of started off talking to you about the uh, the interior castle, this book, and, and one of the things that really struck me, and and it's a it's a longstanding debate. So I'm curious how you feel about it. Um, everything that's conveyed in the book, as she's writing it, 
it's almost entirely metaphorical, right? Because you're trying to you're trying to describe things that are indescribable. But I have had numerous debates with people about how to read scripture and whether or not using a metaphorical or a literal uh, interpretation is correct. Uh, so I'm just curious. I mean, how do you how do you weigh in on that conversation? What what are your thoughts on that? My my the way I read the Bible, the way I interpret the Bible, the way I you know, I study the Bible is with the understanding that it's not it's not two-dimensional. It's absolutely it's not even three-dimensional. It's um interdimensional. It's all of those things. There are so many layers to it that I believe you can you can read the Bible from a purely historical standpoint. Okay. I believe you can do that. I also believe that you can look through and read um large portions of the Bible and and uh glean knowledge and wisdom from a metaphorical standpoint or an allegorical standpoint. Jesus spoke in parables. So I believe that there is so many layers and layers that over the years that I've read the Bible, I could read the same scripture um, a dozen times or more. And depending on where I am, my interpretation and the depth and the layers with which I am able to receive um, change. You know, sometimes I'll read it and say, okay, that, that had something to say that I wasn't really expecting, you know? Sure. Oh, I, yeah, and I think that's I, – I actually – Did I answer your question? Well, you, you know, you gave me a lot of perspective on it because the, I have – like I said, I've had debates with people who insist on one uh, – like, for instance, I will say the people who insist on a literal interpretation of every element. And one of the things that's bothersome to me about that um, is that, number one – I think, like you said, you can read it different ways and get different interpretations. So to me, if you're taking just simply one, like a literal interpretation of everything, there's actually layers that you miss. You know, there's depths that you you miss out on if it's a strictly literal interpretation. Um, but I think the other thing that that's bothersome to me about that is, let's say, for instance, one of the most often, you know, I guess, questioned and the thing that people they, they get caught up in this debate is, you know, Genesis and was the world formed in six days is the, or seven days is the world only 6,000 years old, like those kind of things. Sure. And, um, and I was just thinking that there's a bunch of people out there who probably would be much more open to listening to the message if they weren't being asked to completely suspend, let's say, reason in the faith. So, for instance, I think most people, they look at science and go, well, maybe the theory of evolution is right. Maybe there's some flaws in it. But I think most people from the scientific record can agree that the Earth is actually older than 6,000 years, right? Exactly how old? Sure, up for debate. But I think most of us can agree it's not 6,000 years old. and but as soon as somebody says, well, no, you have to believe it's 6,000 years old or the rest of this is invalid for you, like to, 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 sort of, to sort of make that 
the argument upon which everything else rests. I mean, I think about how many people I know that are turned off to exploring Christianity or religion in general, but specifically Christianity further, because I go, well, you mean I have to just believe that 6,000 years is the age of the earth or else I, I can't believe any of it? Like that kind of that kind of debate, you know, that that kind of bothers me that we we as a society, as a culture, as a religion, we insist in some circles on debating that point and and making that uh, a prerequisite to the rest of the kingdom. I I agree that it is it is unfortunate that it it is unfortunate if you if you would say that certain people would be turned off or or would turn aside from reading the rest of the bible purely on that stance um by the same token i uh i am of a mindset that that would say that science has not caught up with god yet and what i mean by that is that um simply because we don't understand everything that is written in the Bible doesn't mean it's not true. Okay. And there are plenty of verses to describe that. Um, for example, it says that uh, a thousand years is as a day um, from God's perspective. Sure. Okay? Absolutely. And so, you know, it could be, it could be debated. Well, you know, all right, so then we know that, you know, it took God seven days and he rested on the seventh day and it took him six days to create the earth in six days. That's how you get to the 7,000, 6,000, 7,000 number, right? Um, it's, as far as I understand it, it's actually a chronicling of the genealogy. Like they took, because, you know, the, the ages of, of everybody uh, in the Old Testament are, and they worked backwards. So they kind of took the number of years of age of everybody that's listed in the okay. Old Testament. And then they worked backwards and they go, well, based on this genealogy, if we work backwards, this is when it started. Like this is the day the earth started. Gotcha. So, so we're at like 2020 now, and then you're looking at like the better part of 4,000 years genealogy prior to the birth of Christ, right? Correct. So you got 6,000 years there. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then, all right, so then also take into consideration that the creation story expresses that God created the earth in six days and he rested on the seventh, yeah? Yeah. And so if we took into account the verse that I just mentioned, which is that a... Um, a day is as, as a thousand a years. day is as a thousand years. Okay, so then you could actually say that let's just tack on for the sake of conversation, let's just tack on another six or seven thousand years to that. Right. So now we're... We're rounding around 14,000 years, give or take. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's taking it from a literal standpoint, right? Right. Very literal. Okay. I don't know. I don't know if this is going to come across right. And I don't know that I'm correct in this. It's just how I look at it. And it's a couple of little things like this. First of all, um, God created time for us. He created a timeline. He created the existence of time for us to reside in, within. He does not exist within a timeline. He is eternal. He exists outside of our understanding of time. So to suggest that he's limited by seven days or 
14,000 years in light of the fact that he exists outside of time is ludicrous. It doesn't matter if it if it makes sense from a scientific standpoint. Science hasn't caught up with it yet. The second part is that I believe God is my father. I am I am a child of God. And as a child, as with any earthly children, you're a father. Mm-hmm. And sometimes your child, I don't know, maybe they ask a question like, where did the stars come from? Why is the sky blue? Okay. And you may have a scientific explanation as to exactly why the sky is blue or where the stars come from. But when you're discussing them with a child, you have to talk to them as a child. And you could sit there and say, well, the sky is blue because our eyes are only capable of um, being aware of a certain spectrum of light that is actually hitting our eyes in a certain way that we perceive it as blue. Where we find ourselves is you're, you're looking at the Bible as the word of God, and we're trying to fit God into our world. What's actually happening or the way that we, we should or could look at it instead is that the Bible is God our Father having a conversation with a child. And that child isn't capable, no matter how many years of science we may have in our history as a civilization, we are still all children before an almighty God. And it is impossible as children to comprehend how he works his works throughout this universe. And so to to sit and, and read the, the book of Genesis and, and be like, well, you know, it says this and I can't look past that. I would have to say, I think you'd probably still be missing the point because <laughs> I'm sorry. I, yeah. That's just how I look at it because it, God, our father is explaining what he did in ways that we can comprehend. They are, they, are, they are absolutely true, and at the same time, they are allegorical and metaphorical all at the same time, because he knows we, if God sat you down and tried to explain to you how he created the universe, do you honestly think that any one of us could understand how it was done? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I, I'm being I, serious. I remember seeing a comedian, his name's Brian Regan. He's talking about sitting on the couch one afternoon watching the Discovery Channel. And there's like, uh, he said, like, so I'm sitting there eating popcorn and they're telling me how uh, Einstein came up with a theory of relativity. He's like, oh, yeah, I get that. (laughs) Yeah. And um, well, and one of the things and and as we've kind of discussed, I'm a huge fan of looking at what every, you know, at what other religions think and how they perceive it. And one of the things that's that the the Jewish tradition you know, the the way they've always carried it down is they go, 100% the Bible is true. Every word of the Bible is true. Because doesn't mean it's literal fact. Yeah. And, and, and I like that. Yeah. And, and so I've always, I, it, and one of the things that's great is, you know, science, you're saying science hasn't caught up with God. I mean, to me, science has caught up to to some of what God has, you know, told us from the beginning, which is, 
you know, the world did have a definitive moment of creation. You know, even, you know, no matter which scientists you talk to, you know, the, the people at the very pinnacle of cosmology, I mean, they all agree that the universe had a beginning. And, and that 100% agrees with what Genesis has said, you know, since it was written, which is that, yes, it, it was created. It did not exist, and then it existed. Um, this is not something that's been here an infinite amount of time. You know, there was a def- there was a specific moment of creation, and and so from that, and you can also see the way it's developed. Um, so whether you whatever process you want to choose to believe it occurred by, it's clearly progressed with a plan. You know, there's the, everything obeys laws. the The order of the universe is clear. The entire universe works in a certain way, and that way is discernible, and that way is replicable. And the same rules apply for everything. And um, to me, to me, that kind of stuff, um, I look at it as the scientific explanation actually provides me deeper faith in God and more awe of how, what he did and how he did it. I agree. You know, to, I agree. To go, yeah, he snapped his fingers and it happened. Okay, well, that's one thing. But to go, well, actually, the process took time, but there was a plan from the beginning and he watched it play out in human years. And this is, you get this beautiful creation at the end of it. And it's all according to a design. To me, that is, you know, and again, I'll only speak it for myself, but that create that actually provides me with more awe and and more magnificence at the creation than just oh yeah he snapped his fingers and it came into being yeah and and i i hope i haven't given you the impression that i'm anti-science i'm absolutely not (laughs) Not not at all i am i am i am a big fan of science and um i just and and to say that we haven't you know that science hasn't caught up with god yet um if if science and, and I'm not negating what you said there, um, but the day when science can actually um, can actually catch up with God, I think we would be in big trouble. <laughs> okay, but by the same token, I I wholeheartedly agree. I would say science gives us it gives us a particular lens onto the workings that of God's magnificence. Absolutely, yeah. And that's one of the, you know, I, and I, I think it just, it, it irks me. It irks me when science and religion wind up at odds with each other because they don't, they don't need to be, they don't need no. to be at odds with each other. It's like I was saying earlier about the, uh, the doctor, you know, going, yeah, I can prescribe these medicines and that's scientific, but then there's also a spiritual component to treating a patient as well. The one does not negate the other. They work in conjunction. That's right. Yeah, you know, and and it, it, to me, it's kind of like, well, I, you know, the the ability to have a rational mind is one of the things that we're blessed with. You know, that is a blessing to humanity. So for us to use the blessing to humanity to then find a way to create tension between our spirit and our material worlds, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand why we're trying to why those two things aren't actively trying to work together. Instead of working at odds with each other. Yeah. It's it's a bit silly for both sides to be grappling with the other. I mean, I 
I know people that that focus purely on the science side of things, and I know people that focus purely on the literal interpretation of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Sure. And they're both going, "What, guys? No, <laughs> this is not. You know, you you're both not a hundred percent right, and you're both not a hundred percent wrong. And there's, I don't, I have trouble acknowledging the conflict. I really do because you you have to look at all. You have to look at all of it. Yeah. Well. Each of them has our role, you know, to play. And when science and religion wind up at odds, the question always has to come back to what is each, what is its purpose to improve humanity? And so to me, science can provide certain comforts and explanations and of course it medicine and engineering these wonderful things but that fundamental question i was bringing up earlier in the uh, in the podcast about that longing for god and that depression or that uh, melancholy that ennui that comes from that science can't answer that question it, it can't answer that question and it can't answer that question because if you've experienced even a portion of it you've realized that there is no way to communicate that effectively. You can't use the reductionist approach and talk about how it, um, you know, the, what neurons are firing when that, ha- it just doesn't work. It's the same as trying to describe love to somebody as a combination of chemical reactions that are occurring within your body. I mean, yeah, maybe scientifically that's what happens, but if that's how you describe it, you've totally missed the point. You have no concept of what love is if you only understand love in terms of its biochemistry. You don't, you, you don't even have a fraction of understanding of what love actually is. If you describe love to somebody, doesn't matter what the scientific explanation is. If you're in love, you don't care why. <laughs> you don't care what's happening. You just know that you are, and it's a beautiful feeling. I think in listening to you talk, I think I just came up with with a possible um, understanding of this that I hadn't previously. Lay it on me, Joe. You cannot express love to someone who has not experienced it in the same way. In the same way, if you have not had an experience with God, you can't very well explain it to someone who has not, whether it's through religion or science. So the debate is not with people who believe. The debate is amongst those who don't. One is science. The other is religion. And, and, and Christianity is neither one of those. Christianity is faith. Right. Well, you know, that's what you just said about its faith. It's, it's, and this is all coming back to one very, very important word, and it is experience. And that's the thing that most, most of the time when I have felt um, questions, if I've had doubt about faith, it's because I didn't feel like I was experiencing God. I didn't experience his presence. I never wanted Christianity to be something that I believed, but then wasn't part of how I experienced the world. Because other, if I didn't have an experience of the world that was different as a result of my faith, I always kind of looked at it as what, what's the point just to tell people I believe something and then, and then what? I believe this. Okay, great. How does that impact your life? And, and that 
you know, and we could, we could set up to talk for another hour here, but I really believe that that is what the attraction to so many other religions and the new age type of movements that people have really delved into is they're looking for the religious, not belief, they're looking for the religious experience. They want to feel God in their daily life. And that, just like you feel love, you can read about love all you want, but unless you feel love, reading about it is a pointless exercise. And in the same token, like you were saying earlier, turning to alcohol, well, turning to any addictions, really, isn't that just our attempts at filling that that void in that yearning for a relationship with God with these other things? At, at the phase of my life I'm in now, I can look back and say with 100% honesty that yes, 100%, that's what it is. And the great irony, the, like the, the, just the sad irony is he's always with us. He always, with, even if you don't see him, it's not because he's not there. It's because you are not open to having the relationship with him because you can't separate yourself. You're part of his creation. You can't be separated from him. That's right. That's true. So, you know, if, if I feel separated from God, it's because I am not doing what I need to be doing. I've not made myself open to the experience, which is the, it's like I said, it's a sad irony um, that the thing I was looking for was always here. It's a free gift. It is. So my friends, uh, I would say that that gift is available to all of you. It's available to you right at this moment if you make yourself open to it. I know Joe and I have experienced it firsthand, um, which is why we're doing this podcast. We want to share. We just want to share this this side of life. I'm not asking you to believe anything specific. What I'm asking you to do is if you don't believe in God, if you don't believe there's anything more than yourself, I'm asking you to open yourself to that possibility. I'm asking you to really think through these questions and ask yourself whether or not we are alone or whether that longing that you felt in your soul before is a call to something deeper. And Joe, I will, uh, I will leave the last word to you today. Thank you, Shane. Um, I think these are questions that, I think they're questions that everyone has to grapple with at, um, at different times in their lives. And I hope that today's podcast has brought about another one of those times for you. And I hope that you ask these questions again with sincerity. And I hope you find the answer. Until next time, God bless.